We're, we're gonna dive right into it. Part number three of the walk, the essential steps to knowing Jesus. And I don't know, maybe maybe I shouldn't say the essential steps. I'll say essential steps to knowing Jesus. And um, by the way, if you haven't, you know, picked up a, a clean copy, Rhonda was just telling me that she has, you know, a several copies of, of Steps to Christ. And that I don't know, maybe you're like her, maybe you're like me. We we kind of like mark it through. You know, one time through where, oh man, this stands out to me. And then by, by the time you've gone through a few times, you're like, what, what does this say? <laughs> and so if you need a fresh copy, we've got some there in the lobby, Steps to Christ. And really what we're going through, the essential steps that we're going through are really um, kind of drawn from uh, this book. But really it's, it's coming from the life of the disciples. And that's what we're looking at. We're kind of looking at what it takes to cultivate real relationship with Jesus. Because if anybody did... It would have been those that were walking and talking with him, right? And how did they do that? How do we experience that if we don't have him physically here? Well, we can look at their journey as kind of like a case study. And so what we've seen so far is that from the very get-go, they beheld the love of God. They beheld him as the Lamb of God, sacrificially loving them. But also they saw their need in light of that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so today we're looking at another dynamic of the disciples' experience that we find in the early stages of their relationship with Jesus, okay? Um, And I'll just say it right off from the very beginning. We're going to look particularly at Peter's experience and particularly at his experience of what the Bible calls repentance, okay? (laughs) Repentance and confession. And maybe you're, you're kind of scratching your head. I don't really think of Peter as someone who experienced repentance. Well, he was someone who definitely needed to, <laughs> and eventually did. And so we'll, we'll take a look at that. But remember, from the very beginning, repentance was a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. And you know what? Uh, it's something that we, we easily gloss over, but from the very get-go, like according to Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and you find it also in Matthew chapter 4, I think in verse, uh, what is it, verse 12 or 17, uh, right after the wilderness temptations, Jesus comes out preaching, you know, and he's preaching a very specific one-line sermon. Repent, right? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and receive the gospel. So repentance marked the ministry of Jesus from the very beginning. But for Peter himself, repeat, uh, repentance marked his journey not just at the beginning of it, but also throughout it. And that's what we're going to explore today. Before we dive further in, um, let's just, let's, let's seek God's spirit as we pray. Father in heaven, once again, we're relying upon you to bring your word to life. Lord, there, there are times, there are seasons where we are distracted, we are burdened. We're not able to, to perceive what it is that you're trying to communicate to our hearts and minds. And so we ask that right now in this special time, on the Sabbath day, when we remember your creative work, Lord, please do a recreative work through the power of your word. We ask, Father, that you would send us the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to know you, to know what you're inviting us into. We pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. All right, so go with me to the Gospels. We're going to Peter's experience at the very beginning, and all really throughout. And so we're going to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5. Going to Luke chapter 5, we'll look at 
the first few verses there, but particularly verse 8, to see where repentance really kind of comes to the foreground of Peter's experience. Okay. Luke chapter 5. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. And, you know, this is actually um, kind of, I don't know, it's hard to, to put time markers in the experience of the disciples. You know, this is already after the baptism of Jesus. This is already after the wilderness temptations. This is already after Jesus has gone to Nazareth and tried to teach in the synagogue there, and he's almost been pushed to the edge of a cliff. You know, so the disciples have seen Jesus. They've actually been hanging out with Jesus, connected to him, but not in in the fullest sense, as we'll see by the time we get to Luke chapter 5. All right. So verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James. The Bible says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Okay, so here's Jesus. He's already a people magnet. Yeah? Okay, so multitudes are gathered. They want to hear the word. He's almost being pressed into the water. He sees two boats. He thinks this is a better stage than than in the water. Let me get into one of the boats. He chooses one. Verse 3, then he got into one of the boats, which was whose? Simon's. Okay, that's a.k.a. Peter. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So here, the movie shifts from, you know, encompassing all this multitude that are here to hear the word. And now it's zeroed in on this one-on-one encounter almost. Jesus is in Peter's boat. Jesus takes advantage of not just teaching the multitude, but ministering to the individual. I love that about Jesus, by the way. You are not just a number to him. Do you know that? You're not just a number. You're not just a, a face in this sea of, uh, of faces, I should say. Um, but you are someone that he wants to spend individual time with. He says to Peter, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Now, for a seasoned fisherman, this is a head scratcher, okay? He has already been washing his nets, according to, what was that, verse, uh, verse 2, which means he's already put in a full, a full shift, okay? He's done. Uh, Peter answers in verse 5. Simon answered and said to him, Master, Maybe you don't understand these things, being a carpenter and all. Uh, You know, we, us fishermen, have toiled all night and caught nothing. You know, he's kind of swallowing his pride there a little bit. Caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Okay, so Peter knows something about Jesus already. He's already beheld him as the Lamb of God. He knows, he's already probably been to a wedding with him where he's seen the water turn into wine and things like that. So he knows enough to call Jesus Master, right? According to, to verse 5, Master, uh, this and that. But he's also, he knows Jesus enough to, to know that his word is pretty significant. So nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, So all of a sudden, it's not just Simon. It's probably Andrew in his boat, too, although Andrew isn't named here. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Oh, man. If you're a vivid, if you've got a vivid imagination, you're already hearing the stuff. You know, you're you're hearing the splashing, you're hearing the breaking and all this stuff. So they signaled to their partners, verse 7, in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both 
the boats so that they began to sink. Here's someone who just minutes earlier had been, ah, man, another night when we caught nothing, all that effort, all that, you know, whatever, caught nothing. And now their boats are sinking full of fish. Now, here it is. Verse eight. Here's the kicker. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am what kind of man? I'm a sinner. I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. Just zero in on this verse alone. When Simon Peter saw it, that's what my Bible says. Maybe your version says when Simon Peter saw this. What did Simon Peter see in the, you know, the, the minutes, the hour that had just transpired? What did Simon Peter see? Well, he saw a miracle, right? He saw Jesus' power. He saw what he can do. But you know what? I would say more than seeing what Jesus can do, he saw who Jesus was. He saw his character, not just his power. He saw his character. He saw that Jesus, in response to Peter's own, like, ah, come on, we've caught, we were working all night. What are you talking about? You know, in, in response to his unbelief, Jesus extended mercy and grace and miraculous provision. Okay? And all of this just kind of came into a flood of overwhelming sense of, I don't know, you'd almost say dread. But fear of the Lord is, is really, in a biblical sense, he began to fear God. He, he was overwhelmed by all of this. The glory of Jesus' all-sufficiency brought to light all his insufficiencies. That's what happened. That's what happened here in Peter's experience. That's what happened in the Old Testament uh, prophets, uh, Isaiah. Isaiah experienced this very same thing. He has this vision where he sees the Lord, high and exalted. He hears these, these covering cherubs singing, holy, 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 uh, to the one who was, who is. And, and, and in, in verse 5, when he sees God's glory, Isaiah's first words are, whoa. <laughs> not, not like, wow, but whoa. Woe is me, for I am undone. Some versions say ruined, completely obliterated and destroyed. I'm falling apart here. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is what happens when we see the holiness of who God is. We start to see the unworthiness of who we're not. Yeah? We begin to, to just feel utterly undone, like Isaiah says. And what does Peter say here in verse 8? Get away from me, <laughs> right? Get out of here. Well, where's Jesus going to go? They're out in the deep. They're in a boat. And did you notice where in verse 8, where, where Peter is in relation to Jesus? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Okay, so he doesn't like ask Jesus to sit in the back of the boat and he'll sit in the front of the boat. You know, he doesn't say you go to the, the starboard. I'll go to the, you know, whatever. No, he, he, he's at Jesus. It's almost as if he's clinging to Jesus. What's going on? Depart from me, but stay right here. Peter's feeling unworthy to be in Jesus' presence, but he's also unwilling to be apart from his presence. There's this, uh, I don't know, this, uh, it's a beautiful contradiction, actually. <laughs> this tension of, I don't deserve to be here, but I can't be anywhere else. That's what he's feeling. This is a sinner 
who is honest with his need and he's coming to Jesus for it because he's the only one who can meet it. This is what's going on. And I would say Peter is experiencing repentance and confession. He's experiencing repentance. Uh, I don't know, in my mind, when I, whenever I, I hear the word repentance, I see in my mind a U-turn sign. You know, Repentance literally means a change of mind, a change of heart, a turnaround. Okay, so he's experiencing heart turn, not heart burn, heart turn, okay? He's experiencing heart turn, but he's also giving expression to it. He's, he's honestly confessing who he is before God. Uh, before we got, go on to Peter's uh, further experience of repentance and confession, I want to just make a few observations here, just of what we know about repentance and confession. First of all, based on Peter's experience, this heart work that's going on here is sparked. It's inspired by seeing Jesus. Okay. Had he not seen Jesus, he would never have, you know, gone through this whole uh, drama of his heart and soul. Okay. He sees not just what Jesus does. He sees who Jesus is. He sees his goodness. Um, Maybe we have this verse here. Do we have this verse? Yeah, Romans 2, verse 4. I love this. This is Paul talking. And notice just kind of how he understands the the cause and effect of repentance. Romans 2, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to do what? To lead you to repentance. Question. Uh, the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Did Peter see Jesus' kindness, forbearance, and patience even in, in the boat? Yeah, he did. He didn't just see his power. He saw his kindness, forbearance, and patience with this unbelieving heart. And this led him, this led him to a, a repentant heart. It's not something we spark ourselves. Don't, don't get it wrong. Repentance isn't something we just kind of repent you know it's not something that we uh, make happen it is always a response it is always a response to truly beholding the goodness of god in christ so if you find yourself you know pulling your repentant bootstraps up no that's not possible you and i have no capacity to repent and turn our hearts it only happens as we behold jesus and see his goodness. Okay, uh, the other observation I would say, so we know it's sparked by seeing Jesus, but it also involves a rending or tearing down of our pride. In other words, it's heart work. Not, not just hard work, it's, it's heart work. Um, when repentance really grips our lives, when God's kindness leads us to repentance, it's not just something we change our thinking about, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll decide to do differently. No, it's, it's literally an undressing of self before God, so to speak. Like, ah, oh, I've got nothing. You know, it's one thing to intellectually accept that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but repentance and confession takes that nice theology about what Jesus can do and makes it a personal necessity. I need Jesus to do this in me. Uh, Let me read you just a a short paragraph from Steps to Christ, page 35. Many accept an intellectual religion, a form of godliness, when the heart is not cleansed. 
oh, let, I hope and pray that we would never stop with just a mere, yeah, I get it. I understand that. I can put the pieces together. I know the scriptures that say this and say that. I know that Jesus, I believe that intellectually. No, no, no. But the heart can still remain apparently uncleansed. And then she says, deal truly with your own soul. Be as earnest, as persistent as you would be if your mortal life were at stake. Do you understand? This is in the the chapter about repentance. That's what she's talking about here. The implication, when she says, be as earnest, as persistent as you would be if your mortal life were at stake, she's saying your spiritual life is at stake when repentance is being questioned. Okay? And that's, man, when we're talking about repentance, we're talking about not just a decision of mind. It's talking about a, a heart work. Okay, so a rending of pride. So it's sparked by seeing Jesus. It involves rending of our pride. And then this, it prepares us to truly follow Jesus. And why do we say this? Because for Peter, do you know what happens after Peter says this? And go back to Luke chapter 5, verse 9 now. For he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon... I believe he said this to the rest of the guys too, but again, this is Peter's one-on-one. They are launched out into the deep together. Jesus is specifically fishing for Peter here. And he says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and did what? And followed him. Repentance and confession, apparently, it opens up the door for truly, thoroughly following Jesus, walking with Jesus. It opens up the door for a deeper experience with Jesus than they previously had at that point. They had seen him do miracles. They had heard him teach. They had seen him cast out demons. They, they, they were connected to Jesus, but they had not yet truly united their lives to Jesus. Repentance and confession led the way for that. It led the way for that. And as we'll see later, biblical repentance seems to open the door for way more. We're going to look at a few verses later on, especially that Peter himself preaches. For Isaiah, when he was led to say, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. It led to, I don't know if you remember this, in Isaiah chapter 6, the very next thing that happens is there's an altar, I'm sorry, there's a coal from the altar, the altar of, of burnt sacrifice, that is taken and it touches his lips and God declares, your, your, your sins are forgiven. Your iniquity is purged, taken away. For Isaiah, it was forgiveness of sin, and then it led into a life of service. God was able to say, here, who, uh, who, who, who will go for us? Who will I send? And Isaiah is able to say, here am I, send me, right? Pick me. For Peter and the disciples, apparently, their experience of repentance and confession also led the way to a life of full-on service. So that's what happens. Repentance and conversion or confession. It's sparked by seeing Jesus. It involves just this tearing down of self and pride. And then it prepares the way for a deeper experience. It prepares the way for really walking with him. And this experience of repentance and confession allowed Peter to start walking with Jesus. But I would also add, it allowed Peter to keep walking with Jesus too. I want to kind of address something that has kind of been a new concept for me, at least. And that's this, that repentance and confession is not only an initial experience, but it's an ongoing experience. 
I want to chew on this a little bit because, I mean, really, when you think about these three dynamics, seeing Jesus, having our pride tear down, torn down, and truly following, going into a deeper experience, these are things we constantly need, right? These are not just things that we need at the beginning of our lives or our, our Christian experience. It's, just, it's what we constantly need. See, it, the reality is that when Jesus said, hey, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the good news, believe the gospel, the, that, that word repent, it's a, it's a command. It's an imperative, what you would say. And the Greek uh, is very interesting. It's, it, it's a lot more nuanced than, um, than the English language is. But the, the, the particular verb tense that it's in can literally be translated, keep repenting. There are times where the, the command to repent is used in the gospel, or not in the gospels, but in the New Testament, uh, where it's a singular event. Peter talking specifically to a group of people, hey, right now you need to repent in this single point in time. But when Jesus is preaching repent, he's saying, keep repenting. It's an ongoing imperative. Why? Because we have an ongoing need to repent. That's why. (laughs) That's why. We have a continual need to see Jesus. We have a continual need to turn our hearts to Jesus if we want to not only start a journey with him, but keep a journey with him. You know, I've often thought of repentance and confession as things that belong solely in the, uh, the preface of my Christian journey, you know, in the beginning chapters of my, my story. But the reality is, if repentance, but yeah, I'm sorry, but what if repentance is a gift that God actually wants to grant to us in every chapter of our lives? Consider this. Did Peter need to repent only at the beginning of following Jesus? Or all throughout? I would say all throughout. Or maybe we should ask it this way. What would have happened if Peter had kept this, what was verse 8 saying? Depart from me for I am a sinful man. What if, what if, what would have happened to Peter's story? How would Peter's story have changed if he kept that attitude of self-distrust and allowing uh, pride to be laid to the dust all throughout his journey? especially in the closing scenes of Jesus' life. What would have happened? I mean, can we just go to a couple of those stories? Go with me to Luke. Uh, We're in Luke 5. Go to chapter 22. Go to Luke 22. And we'll just take a look at just kind of a smattering of, of these experiences where Peter is under fire, so to speak. Luke 22, verse 31. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right, just looking at a few verses here. This is after the upper room experience of the Lord's Supper for the last time. Verse 31, the Lord speaks directly to Peter. The Lord said, Simon, Simon. Okay, two times just calling him out. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Oh, praise the Lord. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Some versions say, and when you are converted. I like that. Strengthen your brethren. What would have a repentant Peter sounded like here? Oh, Lord, I need you. Thank you so much for your prayers for me. But what's going on in verse 33? But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Admirable, yes. Repentant, no. 
The attitude of repentance is pride has no place in the glory of God. It would have sounded completely different. Go with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, another experience here where Peter is kind of under the spotlight. Matthew 26, let's, we'll look at several actually. Verses, uh, starting in verse 33. I'm sorry, starting in verse 31. If you're there, say amen. Okay, Matthew 26. Jesus said to him, he's going to get very specific now. Not just saying that Satan is after him, but he's going to get specific with what's, what's going to transpire. Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to him, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Peter. Sorry, I will go before you to Galilee. Okay, I guess at this point, Jesus is talking to all of the disciples, not just to Peter specifically. We'll get to that one in just a moment. But, you know, if, if you're a disciple, here you know you've been walking with Jesus now three years, three plus years. A repentant disciple or a repentant Peter probably would have taken this and said, you know what, God sees more than I do. A self-distrustful Peter would have said, you know, man, keep me from walking down that road that you're warning me about. But verse 33, notice what Peter answered. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Again, admirable, yes. Repentant, no. No. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Later on down, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. He just takes Peter, James, and John a little further into the garden. And then, I didn't notice this until this week. It says that, uh, you know, verse 39, Jesus prays this prayer. He went a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then verse 40, I know that Peter, James, and John, they all slept. I know that Jesus talked to them and said, hey, can't can't you watch with me one hour? But according to Matthew's gospel, notice who he's talking to. Then he came to the disciples, found them sleeping, and said to Peter, okay, said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour You're the one who just said that you're not going to stumble because of me. You're the one who just said that wherever I go, you'll go. Could you not watch with me one hour? I don't know what a repentant Peter at that point would have said or done. But a repentant Peter probably would have been praying at that time. You know, confessing need. I need divine strength and capacity to watch with Jesus right now. That's probably what repentance would have sounded like. And it definitely would not have sounded like what comes out of Peter's mouth down in verse 69 through 75. By the time Jesus is arrested and put on trial, what comes out of a non-repentant Peter is, I don't know him. What? I don't know the man. Third time. I don't know him. Right? This is a sobering warning. When you look at Peter's life, he starts out as a repentant soul. And near the end of things, when it mattered the most, his repentance was nowhere to be found. And 
The reality is this. Don't wait to repent. Repentance neglected can lead us down a road we never intended to walk. Steps to Christ again. Page 33. This is, this is sobering. Every act of transgression, every neglect or rejection of the grace of Christ is reacting upon yourself. <laughs> it's hardening the heart, depraving the will, benumbing the understanding. I don't, uh, you don't need to raise your hand, but maybe you, you know what this is like, where you walk into a situation, you're, you're familiar with the dynamics of this particular struggle, trial, temptation, and you know that to say yes or to say no would, would do something. It would create some guilt. But you think to yourself that if I just indulge it once, I can choose to say no the next time. Again, you don't need to raise your hand, just your conscience. <laughs> the reality is this. Every act reacts upon yourself. How? In what way? It hardens your heart. It depraves the will, actually like sucking the power out of it. It benumbs the understanding and, watch this, and not only making you less inclined to yield, but even less capable of yielding to the tender pleading of God's Holy Spirit. And in the next paragraph, it starts out like this. Many are quieting a troubled conscience. And then she describes that train of thought. We think we can say no. We can flip the switch when we want to flip the switch. But the reality is every time we make a decision, we prepare the way for its repetition. Every time we make a decision, we prepare the way for its repetition, whether for the positive or the negative. Peter could have decided to keep repenting and confessing. But because he did not, it actually made him less able to repent further down the road. Repentance neglected can lead us down a road we would never want to take. But praise the Lord that that's not the end of the story. (laughs) That Jesus continues to invite, continues to extend. You know, every time that Jesus confronts Peter, hey, this is what's going to happen. I don't think Jesus is like trying to aggravate Peter. I don't think he's trying to prick his pride and burst his bubble. No, I think he's trying to extend to him an open door to repent and confess before it was too late. But praise the Lord, even here, Matthew 26, I don't know the man. Even that was not too late. Even that was not. Verse 75 of Matthew 26, the very end of it. I'm sorry, I'll just read the whole verse, verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. You know, this is, this is very different. There was someone else who was very sorrowful that night. You know who I'm talking about? Judas. Judas, of Iscari- or Judas Iscariot. He, he was very sorrowful that night. In fact, he goes back to the religious leaders, throws down the money, and he even says, I have sinned. He even says, I have sinned. But that was not a confession that was driven by genuine repentance. That was an admission of guilt that was driven by fear of consequence. That's not true repentance. That's not true repentance. Here, Peter is broken. He realized he has seen the goodness of God. 
He has heard the word of Jesus repeated. Hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This, I've prayed. for. He's, he's beholding the love and mercy and forbearance of God. And this is leading him to repentance. And we read that full circle of repentance in John 21. Let's just go ahead and turn there really quick. Oh, man. This is good stuff. John 21. I hope this is okay. We're kind of, um, we're not even halfway through. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're we're going to go to John 21. We'll, we'll wrap this up when it's time. Here we go. <laughs> All right, John 21. The story here at the end of the Gospel of John, I love that John includes this. You know, John was the last Gospel written. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they didn't keep this part of the story in there. John says, man, people need to know this. People may feel that they're too far gone. No, this is what Jesus did for Peter. So when, this is verse 15. So, oh, I'm sorry. Let's, let's go a little bit earlier. Oh, man, the story is just so beautiful because this is a repetition of Luke 5. I don't know if you realize this. This is a repetition of Luke 5. You know, they're out in the middle of the lake. They're about done now. The sun is rising and stuff. They've caught nothing, just like in Luke 5. Jesus calls out from the shore instead of right from within the boat. He says, hey, cast your net on the other side. They, well, okay, let's do it. Let's try it. The fishermen in here are thinking, man, that is terrible. That's a bad idea. But this is what happened. And they can't even get the fish in their boat. They're dragging the nets, according to the story here. Uh, But in verse 8, okay. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus didn't need them to bring fish. He already had breakfast cooking. What's really cool about this, by the way, this fire of coals, same word, same word that's used to describe the fire that Peter was warming himself by right before he denied Jesus. The same smell, the same experience. Jesus is bringing him across again, giving him another chance. (laughs) It's beautiful. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Do you know what a non-repentant Peter would have sounded like? Come on, Jesus, what are you trying to do? Of course, I mean, no. But this is a repentant Peter. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know. You know me better than I know myself. You know that I love you. Similar experience of seeing Jesus, not just his power, but also his character. And repentance here sounds self-distrusting. It sounds self-renouncing, completely dependent upon the one that he cannot live without. And I believe that it's because Peter opens his heart to repentance, not just initially, but also continually that eventually Peter can preach repentance powerfully. On the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost has fully come, the Holy Spirit descends upon these praying disciples. Peter preaches for 10 minutes after praying for 10 days. Hearts are pricked. Thousands of men in Jerusalem, they're like, we just crucified the Messiah? What are we to do? And Peter's first words are, repent. 
Because Peter experienced repentance, not just initially, but also continually, he could then preach repentance powerfully. Do you, do you want to see that? Acts chapter 2. Just, just turn there. Acts chapter 2. So powerful. Peter starts preaching this. Then Peter, this is uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Just a few pages over from John 21. Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And I imagine Peter saying, and call and call again, you know? This is what Peter can preach. Repent. And we talk about repentance kind of opening the door for a deeper experience. Well, what does it open the door for? Repent and let every one of you be baptized, full submersion, surrender into Jesus. What else? For the remission of sins, sending away your sins. And what else? You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what else? The promise isn't just for you. It's for your kids. That's awesome. (laughs) Man, And then again, oh, just a chapter later, chapter later, miracle. Peter and John, they're able to help this lame man leap and walk. And, you know, he's praising God there. People are drawn. Peter is saying, no, 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 this this wasn't because of us. It was because of the name of Jesus. And he's just preaching Jesus to these people. And in verse 19, this is chapter 3, verse 19 of the book of Acts. Repent, therefore, and be converted, right? Again, the the message of this powerful preacher is repentance. Why? Because he has been repentant. Repent, therefore, what else does it open up to? Repent, therefore, and be converted, turned around. Okay, by this time, Peter himself has been converted. He's turned around. That your sins may be blotted out. I love that. Sins not just kind of, you know, uh, just ignored, but blotted out, completely erased. Uh, the word itself, it's, it's, it's in reference to um, uh, seals that have been kind of put, in, impressed in wax, and then just kind of smushed out, <laughs> kind of erased, obliterated. Uh, I used that word before, but we'll say it again. Obliterating sins here. What else does it open up to? So that times of refreshing. <gasps> catching your breath, taking a breath of fresh air, because the implication is that you've been suffocated by sin. That times may, of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. In other words, that heaven can come soon. <laughs> That's what repentance opens up to. It opens up to, in Acts chapter 2, it's opening up to forgiveness of sins, baptism and surrender, the reception of the Holy Spirit, not just for you, but also for your kids. Here, it's, uh, it's opening up to conversion, blotting out of sins, and times of refreshing, a.k.a. revival. When repentance is ongoing, then all these other experiences, those are ongoing too. Oh man, sign me up, right? That's what I long for. That's what we want. We might ask, why does Peter keep preaching repentance? He's like a one-trick pony. That's all he knows how to... Well, (laughs) why does he do it? Well, I'll give you a few reasons. One, because that's what Jesus preached. That was his model of ministry. Two, because that's what Jesus led him to. That was his testimony. That was his experience. It was a simple cause and effect. You know, Matthew 12 says, out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. He's speaking from the abundance of his heart. It was so much on his lips because it was so much on his heart. 
Repentance didn't just happen at the beginning of his experience. It was all throughout. And that's why for Peter, it wasn't just uh, something that he could say once or twice. It was just his, his testimony. He saw repentance as a gift, a gift to be received gratefully. I think it's in Acts chapter 5. I don't know if I actually have that up here. Do we? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Him, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. When Peter preaches repentance, he knows it's not something that we muster up, but it's a gift that we receive from God when we behold his goodness. It's a gift. It's a blessing that frees us from trust in self to throw ourselves eventually wholly upon the grace of God. This repentance, according to Peter, when he's writing one of his last letters, this repentance is what he wants all of us to experience. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you want to come? Do you want to come to repentance? I tell you what, it's not something that we obtain and grasp for, but it's a gift we ask for and receive. Do you want to know the joy of forgiveness, of having sins, of having your past blotted out, smushed out for no one to be able to read? No. Do you want the joy of conversion? The joy of receiving the Holy Spirit, not just for yourself, but for those that are under your influence and in your legacy? Do you want the joy of experiencing times of catching fresh breath again? Then repent and keep repenting. And keep repenting. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus in self-distrust today and every day. And this is what I've just in the last few months, have just realized for the first time almost that repentance is what I need every day, every day. And, and it's almost as if now my devotional reading, my, my, my set times with God are not just to get through a reading plan. You know, that's not what I set out to do. But the reality is my times of devotion are for God to do this work in me where I can behold the lamp and see my need and receive the gift of repentance and confession. That's what our times in the morning should be all about. Yeah, sure, we're gaining knowledge and experience and stuff, but really, we're allowing him to walk with us and us with him. So throw yourself at the feet of Jesus in self-distrust today. Maybe you're asking, how do I repent? How do I keep repenting? Well, let me, I'll just summarize it in two ways, or three ways. One, ask, and two choices. One, ask, and two choices. The first, ask is um, how, do, how do we keep repenting? One, ask God for the gift. Realize it's a gift. It's not something we drum up. And then two choices. Number one, choose to behold the goodness of God. That's something that we can control. We can focus and, you know, just look throughout Scripture when we're reading stories and stuff. Yeah, get the story. Get the idea. Get the facts. But behold Jesus. Behold his goodness. The other choice, when he reveals his goodness, choose not to resist it. <laughs> choose not to resist it. In other words, don't resist when God's love actually draws your heart away from sin. Don't resist that. When he gives you a, an affection for something other than what you used to have an affection for, don't resist that. 
when he draws your heart and your thoughts away from thinking things about people that you used to think, don't resist that. He gives you repentance from decisions and actions that maybe have become habitual. Don't resist that. Decisions or actions that are driven by trust or self, trust in self rather than trust in him, don't resist when he draws your heart away. So ask God. Choose to behold his goodness and choose not to resist. How many of you want to come to repentance? Yeah? We're going to sing a song just in closing. We'll invite our song team up here. It's O Come to the Altar. And you know, I know this, you know, in certain settings, an altar call may seem kind of contrived and stuff. But I just want to give us permission today to come. To come to the altar if you want to receive the gift of repentance, you know? To come to the altar if, if, if trusting in self is no longer the, the mode of operation you want to subscribe to. To come to the altar if maybe there's a particular situation, maybe a particular difficulty or even a trial or temptation, a decision that you want him to undo your pride, your habit, your addiction. You want to come to the altar? This is enough of an altar here right here. <laughs> So while we're singing, if that's you, you just want special prayer, you want to signify to heaven, yes, I want this gift, then go ahead and come forward as we sing this song together. said yes and gone back Lord if like I was reading earlier this week if our broken promises were lumber we could build a subdivision and God you know and so please give us this gift today and every day we want to walk with Jesus we want to know the joy of forgiveness and conversion and receiving the gift of the spirit we want times of refreshing, not just once in a while, but continually, every day. We pray this in Jesus' saving, precious, and oh so gracious name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Thanks.
Thanks for worshiping with us today, friends. May God continue to grant us this gift. God bless you.